welcome to the Data for Resilient Cities podcast series, exploring how data can help cities become more resilient, smart, and responsive to challenges. This series is brought to you jointly by Center for Applied Geomatics, CRDF, and by CoData, the Committee on Data of the International Science Council. Via this podcast series, we bring to you reflections on the interdisciplinary approaches and the innovative use of data taken by various cities, offering examples of good practices and lessons learned. Hi, this is Shelly Gandhi from CEPT Research and Development Foundation. Today, we bring to you an episode on role of data for COVID response using Gujarat, India, and London, UK as examples. In this episode, we have Professor Dilip Mavlankar, Director, Indian Institute of Public Health, Gandhinagar, India, in a conversation with Professor Virginia Murray, working as Head of Global Disaster Risk Reduction, Public Health, England. I welcome you both on this episode. Thank you, Shelley. Good morning, Virginia. This is Dilip Mavlankar from Ahmedabad. How are you and how is the weather there. It is a very hot weather here, still in December in Ahmedabad. Shelley, thank you so much for inviting me to join this conversation. And Dilip, what a pleasure it is to meet you. I'm really, really pleased that we have this opportunity to do this discussion about what is going on COVID-19 in both in Gujarat, but also in London. I am head of global disaster risk reduction for Public Health England, but I am currently working as one of the senior public health advisors for COVID-19 inside Public Health England. I wanted to just talk a little bit about what's been happening across the world with COVID. It's been such a worrying time this year. And I looked at the figures for the world and I noted that there were over 67 million confirmed cases of COVID-19, including more than one and a half million deaths. In the UK, we've had a lot of uh, cases as well. We've had over 1,750,000 confirmed cases. It's been a very, very worrying time for us in the UK. And in London, of course, we're currently in tier two, one of our measures for controlling the problem. What's happening for you in India? Yeah, Virginia, we are also facing a major public health pandemic. And uh, fortunately, the Indian numbers as compared to India's population are not so bad. We have a population of 1.4 billion people, which is a very, very large population, maybe uh, roughly about 20 times uh, UK population. And so far, we have 9.7 million cases, which is what we call in Indian Uh, language 97 lakh cases and 142,000 recorded deaths uh, because of COVID. And it's a large number, not only as compared to uh, many other diseases, but even personally in our own institute, uh, our own uh, faculty, as well as um, uh, in our research staff, Several of them have lost their parents or their family were affected or personally we know personal losses 
due to COVID. So it's really, really very worrying. The only silver lining has been in India is if you look at the epidemic curve, we, our epidemic curve peaked in around uh, middle of September with 93 or almost 100,000 cases reported every day. Now we are down to about 30,000 cases reported every day. And also deaths have gone down from more than 1,000 deaths a day to about three 400 deaths every day due to COVID. Of course, there is a major social, economic, psychological, you name it, and there is huge impact on the whole society. And this is very, very unprecedented. I have never seen anything like that in my 40 years of public health career. Currently, I am director of a school of public health. We run master's program in public health as well as hospital management. Many of our students are in the forefront of managing COVID at the city level in Ahmedabad and other cities, as well as in the state of Gujarat. And with discussion with them, we get on the ground information. So that way, I think this is very, very unprecedented. And um, uh, with the winter coming, we are also worried. Of course, the cases are going down, but many cities like my own city of Ahmedabad in Gujarat and in Delhi and other cities have been facing second and third wave of uh, the pandemic. So situation um, was worse, it is getting better, but we don't know how long this will be before things return to normal. Amid Alepi, it's really interesting that you have been working so hard and that you've got such incredible networks. I think this is a very rich story. And knowing that India is, an, is a huge country and I fully recognize your incredibly large population and how you've managed it. For us, if I can compare a little bit, we are just coming through our second wave of cases. And we have been driving the case numbers down wherever we can because we're so concerned about overwhelming our healthcare system, our national health system, where we're really trying to care for all patients and to manage this as effectively as we can. So for us, the big effort has been surveillance, trying to identify all the data we can on the number of cases and identifying who is positive with either a PCR test or the lateral flow antigen tests where we're beginning to use them more and more, and how we can manage that data in a way that's going to try and reduce the impact upon our population, which you too have, of course, described so well in India. Our concern having been that we need to keep our country functioning, but of course, at this time, we are really worried about the number of lockdown measures we've had to take and the impacts we've had on much of our hospitality industry in particular because they can only currently serve food if, if people are seated and a lot of these places have to close not too late in the evening. So there's been a lot of worry about how we manage these things and how we can do it. And this is mostly driven for us by really scrupulous data collection. So we have daily information on the numbers of patients admitted, the number of patients in hospital and the number of patients on ventilation in our country. And of course, that very sadly leads to the number of deaths. 
where treatment has not been successful, and that's been really worrying to us. But I'm glad to say that in our second wave that we are just coming through, now, now that the restrictions are, are, are reducing, is nothing like as severe as the initial wave in March, April, May, June. So we've had a really difficult time trying to manage these things, but it has been a very collective effort with the government much involved in responding to the data issues as they've come through and how we try and share that information in the UK, but also particularly on some cities. So when you asked before, Shaley, what was happening in London, I said we were currently in tier two, but we're watching every part of London really carefully to see whether or not the case rate is going up and whether tier two is sufficient to manage this or whether we need to move to a higher tier, tier three in our current terminology, or whether we can lift it perhaps in the future to tier one. For us, we're coming up to our winter. We are in the heart of our winter. It's cold here. And we are very much aware that people are getting very tired and that they are looking forward to a seasonal festivity of Christmas. And we're only allowing people five days in which they can meet. And we hope that that currently, according to the data, will remain acceptable, although our next review is on the 16th of December. Tell me, how often do you review the case numbers in Gujarat? How does that influence the decisions that are made on how you manage these cases? Uh, Virginia, the way the epidemic is being managed is in a very systematic and very high level. Uh, since almost the epidemic started uh, to enter India, which was in March, the state of Gujarat formed a very high-level core group, which consisted or which is headed by the chief minister of the state. As you know, India has a, a federal structure and each state has a different head of state. Uh, so under the central government guidance, the chief minister convenes or heads a group called the core group, which has the health secretary and other key secretaries, including the chief secretary. And they meet almost every day at 6 p.m. and review the data, which is collected up to 5 p.m. that day, and then decide what actions to take. These actions have been, of course, we had this long lockdown from 24th of March to almost end of May, which was a national lockdown, after which a series of unlocking measures were taken. And by June and July, most of the things started opening. Cases were also down. But as uh, you are worried about Christmas, we were worried about what will happen in Diwali, which happened on about 16th of November which is a major festival equal to the Christmas. And there was a lot of discussion and warning and people were again and again told to use masks, social distancing, sanitation and other measures and not to gather. But after such a long time in people in isolation were very also tired. So there was some kind of sort of festivity as well as mixing people, people went to the markets, etc. And that is where after Diwali, we are seeing the second wave, almost uh, which began at the beginning of December, but now it is also receding. 
So as you were saying, the data is collected from various ways. One is the testing data comes from the various testing laboratories, and that is where RT-PCR as well as we have introduced the rapid antigen testing. So both tests are done. That data, the city authorities send it to the state and the rural areas, what we call as districts, send it again to the state level. It is compiled and then it is compiled at national level. We also have hospital data coming in from various hospitals which have been designated as COVID hospitals. There have been special government hospitals created at the beginning of the pandemic in the city of Ahmedabad and many other cities, wherever possible, uh, they created large specialized COVID hospital facilities as well as some private hospitals. COVID beds were created or treatment facilities. So we have substantially expanded the treatment facility and that also provides the data. And based on the data, various decisions are made. For example, after this Diwali, when we saw the second peak, they actually imposed curfew over a weekend because the cases were going up very rapidly in the whole state. So to curb more interaction over a weekend from Saturday morning to Monday morning, complete curfew was imposed. And since then, still, because many people meet each other in the coffee shops and restaurants, etc., at night, so night curfew is in place. And both of these seem to have helped, and the cases are now again coming down and hospitals which were getting almost full and it was difficult. Some hospitals had waiting queue for patients to be admitted, which is now getting less and less. So I think we have, like you are facing the winter rise, we also face this festivity related rise in Ahmedabad and now it has been going down. But let me also a little bit talk about some uh, different observations which we have. We don't have very strong data uh, on that, but what we see is this epidemic, the very poor areas, what we call as slums or very poor housing, which is very congested, where people um, with lower socioeconomic status live, they are not that much affected. So there have been some cases, but not a whole lot, which was in some sense people had predicted because the houses are very small, congestion is very high, people don't sometimes wear masks, water is not available for hand washing, etc. So that was a surprising uh, element that very poor people haven't suffered. It is the middle class, upper middle class. If you see the spread, of course, like the British Prime Minister got the disease, our Home Minister and many other state level ministers and secretaries to the government, the commissioners of the cities, many of them got infected. So what I'm trying to say is that disease spread in such a way that people in high places and well protected and having all kinds of amenities got infected, but the very poor people were spared, which was very surprising and in some sense it was merciful. I should say, otherwise they would have been in a very bad shape. Second is we have just recently sent a paper for publication which talks about, we did a small survey, not many old people are in old age homes, but we surveyed some old age homes in India. 
western part where Ahmedabad is, what we find is very few deaths in the old age homes in the western part. Out of almost 1,500 residents in almost 40 old age homes surveyed, there were only two deaths, which is quite different than what we hear in the western countries. So there are some patterns of disease which are somewhat different. And if we had more granular data, we would be able to sort of see how the disease is spreading and which factors are responsible for its transmission. Uh, we also did some small studies of secondary cases in the household, because as you know, almost 40% of Indians have one room house. The transmission within the house is also not very high. The secondary attack rates are of the order of 10 to 20%. So if a person is positive in one home, the other members of the household don't seem to be very badly affected, which is also shows that there is some kind of innate immunity in many people in the country. We need better data and we can learn from how UK collects the data on morbidity, mortality, and uh, the hospital admissions. So if you can tell us a little bit more on that, it would be very helpful. So Dilip, I think that is an incredibly rich discussion you've just been sharing with me of what is happening in Gujarat. This is really important to hear your systems that you have. I wondered if there were a few points I could pick up. So for us, like you, we have regular reviews with our scientists, with our science decision makers, including our government chief scientific advisor, along with our chief medical officers, on how we share the information on what is happening currently as we see it. So there's a massive amount of sampling going on and we're increasing our sampling enormously so that we can pick up not only the positive cases, but also the asymptomatic positives, which are increasingly of concern. Our surveillance obviously is very much targeted at healthcare workers and people who work in care homes, as you describe. And we've certainly found that our care homes have been an area where we've been very anxious to reduce the spread of COVID. And so we had really tried to increase the care with which we look after these people, but also restrict access of people to visit, which is, I think, very tough. So what I wanted to share with you is that you probably know on Tuesday this week, we gave our very first vaccine. And we now have a prioritization of who receives the vaccines according to the data that we've collected. So residents in a care home or for older adults and their carers, they are the very first people to receive the vaccine. Anyone aged 80 or over or a frontline health or social care worker is our second priority for vaccination. Then it goes to people who are aged 75 and over. And then it goes to those who are aged 70 or over or those who are particularly clinically extremely vulnerable. So they have diseases that make them a great risk if they get COVID. And then we move down the scales to prioritization, which takes us into people aged 50 or over. So there's a whole level of tiering where we've been trying to look after everyone. 
to us, one of the things that's been absolutely critical in hearing about your household transmission rates seeming to be so low is something that has caused us increasing concern that there is a risk of transmission inside people's homes, but also, of course, elsewhere. So that's why we've had, like you in India, a national lockdown, which went from March until sometime in June. And people really, we only reopened very slowly different sectors. And possibly one of the most recent sectors in July to open were those who were doing personal care, hairdressers and others who were particularly close to people who might be at risk. So in our current second lockdown, our national lockdown, down in England, we've tried to reduce the risk of people doing a lot of that. But so what we've done is to try and split this. So where there's really high disease spread and impact upon the health service, we've had different lockdowns and different measures and different tiers that we've been using. But it is all driven by data. And the data is what we try to manage when we know by using the data to measure the impact that we can try and improve our decision-making and make it more transparent for people who we are encouraging to comply. So it's been a fascinating experience trying to make sure that we plan eventually for future healthy cities and how we can try and engage more effectively in learning the lessons from this global pandemic. It is really interesting to hear what you've been doing in India and the richness of your work. And yes, of course, for us in the UK, the disease has been very shocking, very sad. Virginia, thank you very much. Uh, I'm sure we will continue our discussion in this regard. Uh, what you reminded me was my first lessons in public health, where we learned about bills of mortality of London of 1664, after the plague epidemics, how the mortality statistics in London improved and how it helped London to control plague pandemic. And we are also learning similar lessons of how to improve our mortality statistics because one of the weaknesses of India's health system is its poor recording and analysis of cause of death and registration of death. But along with that, we have a very good surveillance systems set up and many cities have now done um, large zero surveillance uh, of the residents. And recently, just today's newspaper released the data of my city, almost 25% of the 6 million people who live in Ahmedabad have had experience or have antibodies against the COVID. Of course, we are far off from herd immunity, but they have given data age-wise, sex-wise, uh, area-wise. So we have close monitoring of how the asymptomatic disease is spreading without reporting of the cases and many people have mild disease. We have also developed a national app, which is called Arogya Setu, which is similar to, I think, the UK COVID tracker app which people can download and uh, do uh, their own surveillance and upload the information. And that has been also used to find out where uh, upper respiratory tract clusters are developing, which then the health authorities can go and investigate and test for COVID. We are also looking at the ambulance pickup data. So there are various technological tools this time which have been used, including GIS mapping, et cetera, 
to see how the disease is distributed, where we should focus. And lastly, as the vaccine has already arrived in UK, we are also very happy to say that within few weeks, maybe about three weeks, vaccine will start coming in India. So the government is doing a massive exercise of prioritizing which populations will get the vaccine. So the first are, of course, the healthcare workers who are in direct contact and treating the COVID patients and other healthcare workers which are providing other health services. Second would be the people above 50 years of age uh, with or without comorbidity. Third would be the people below 50 years of age and with comorbidity. So such lists with details are being prepared. We are gearing up the cold chain system, the vaccination uh, workers, etc. So very soon, we hope by middle or later part of January, massive vaccination drives will start, which will start driving down the cases. And we'll see quickly the end of this very tragic pandemic, which has killed so many people. But we hope that we will have a better health system and better social systems to cope up with this pandemic. It has been truly a delightful experience to talk to you and to learn from UK experience. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dilip. It's fascinating to hear and I look forward to staying in touch with you. And I think the learning that we can gather from each country is so rich and important. And if we can move towards universal health coverage as the World Health Organization wishes, with better planning for emergencies, implementing things such as the Sendai Framework for Disaster Risk Reduction, supporting the use of the international health regulations, then we will be moving forward much more safely and in much closer harmony to learning how we can re reduce the risks and the impacts of these hazards that are occurring everywhere. Many thanks, Shelley, for this opportunity. Thank you very much, Virginia. Thank you, Shelley, for this uh, very uh, interesting opportunity of this podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Professor Virginia and Professor Dilip for sharing an enlightening experience for handling this pandemic on this episode. Thanks for listening to this episode from the Data for Resilient Cities podcast series. If you like our podcast and want to know more about the series, check out our website, www.crdf.org, and follow us on social media. Please leave a review and like and share wherever you listen to the podcast. Look out for the next episode and join us next time. Mm -hmm.